Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you uh, for joining me today. It's going to be a great show. I can't wait. Patrick's going to come on in just a minute because I think a merry heart is like good medicine. I'm looking forward to uh, catching up with him. Um, And then we're going to have all kinds of fun after that. Dr. Clinton Arnold's coming on the show. No no relation to me, uh, which is too bad because he's very smart. And you would think maybe some of that would rub off if he was my relative, but he's not. But we're going to talk about an archaeological dig looking for the city of Colossae. That's going to be our two. It's going to be great. So, and then the Monday afternoon mix. Of course, you never forget that. That comes in with Pat, uh, Pastor David Miles and Rosie B. And we're going to uh, uh, talk today about uh, Matthew 7. So it's going to be good. Patrick is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa and the prestigious town of West Des Moines. Patrick, hey. The, my lengthy introduction. Yeah. I, I I can't believe that some of that other, you know, Arnold stuff didn't rub off on you. I know. Spillover effect. I was so hopeful. Yeah. Well, you know, it's um, there are many uh, in my family. Uh, the Albanese name is quite common and uh, uh, not much. I didn't get much <laughs> spillover, but uh, it, there was an Albanese magician a uh, hundred years or so ago. Really? Spelled a little bit differently. Hmm. And... Um, I think he achieved a little more fame than me, though. <laughs> well, so, speaking of rubbed off. Speaking of a yeah. hundred years ago, nice segue, by the way. Uh, we're, Thank you. You know, we're we're uh, I'm a big Wimbledon fan, which is uh, you know happening, and maybe you uh, could share a story of a player from the past. Well, so uh, and, and and for the people that don't know, you know that you you love tennis, and yes, uh, you were you were quite the tennis player back in the day. Which I don't know when that was, but that was some <laughs> that was not a hundred years ago. And I did not know you uh, when you were a tennis player, but um, so I hit you with a little bit of trivia just before we, you know, you you, you kind of picked up the the line and said we're about to go on the air, and uh, I said, hey, do, do you know who this Richard Norris Williams the second is? Uh, and you said never heard of him. And I said, uh, you know, tennis player, and you said. I should know him. I yeah. said, you know, uh, then you asked if he was current because you didn't feel like you knew the current players. I said, no, about a hundred years ago. I said, still didn't know him. I said, well, Richard, Mr. Mr. Richard Norris Williams, if I'm to read it correctly, the second uh, was on the Titanic. Wow. He was traveling with his father from Geneva to Pennsylvania because that's what you did back then. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a not not a not a normal trip, and uh, of course we all know what happened. The Titanic goes down, and he gets tossed into the frigid waters. Um, you know, it might not have been cold normally, but there was this giant ice cube nearby <laughs> <laughs> that was chilling the water, and he spent about six hours in the uh, frigid water. Um, now they were, I think, trying to save some people, uh-huh. and he didn't get on a boat, but he. 
ended up finding something that was like a a, a little inflatable type of item. He hung on to it. it. Was in the frigid water for six hours. They got him out, and they said uh, your legs are irreparably damaged. Mm. Uh, just you know, they're they're uh, they're gone. So we're going to have to take them off. And he said no. Uh, I'm going to do the best I can to try and rehabilitate him, and I will exercise. And uh, he did that, and he managed to save his legs, and then he went on to win Wimbledon. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, yeah, he ended up with, uh, let's see, he, uh, let me look at a, a number of titles, 1914 to 1916, singles champion, 1920 Wimbledon men's doubles champion, runner-up in 24, 24 Olympic gold medalist, and wow. between 1913 and 26, a member of the United States Davis Cup team. That is a spectacular story. And being a tennis yeah. fan, I will go back and review that story and enjoy it myself uh, after the show. Because to be in uh, waters, in frigid waters, now obviously he was floating to some degree because you couldn't survive in that temperature uh, for six hours. But he had such damage that they said, we are amputating your legs. And he said no. Huh. And he said no. And then he goes on to win Wimbledon and yeah. other things. And other things. And uh, apparently, uh, having not played tennis, you need some leg strength for that. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah, yeah it is. And yeah. it's a uh, re- remarkable story. Um, what people do to overcome ad- uh, adversarial conditions is amazing to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, because we were going back in time, by the way, I, I stumbled across something and I, I, you know how you use figures of speech? Uh, we all use them. Uh, and and the, you say, well, I don't even know where that comes from. I mean, what does that mean? You, you know how you use some of those things? You're getting down to brass tacks. Sure. Let the cat out of the bag. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. And I, I've always found a lot of those pretty fascinating. Uh, and so... Well, if I if I if we challenge a listener to find something, there's always that Google machine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, recently, I found out where "put a sock in it" comes from. Hmm. Yeah, so I don't know what we can let people uh, uh, stew over that, unless you need to know the answer to that. I, I don't know why, because it's about a hundred years old. I don't need to know the answer yet. I will want to know by the yes. end of this uh, this time together. But, you know, when you have a little adversity brought into your life, usually some pretty amazing things come out of it. I mean, we've got a bazillion stories of people who were like this tennis player who was faced with incredible adversity that came out in a spectacular way. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 pretty amazing. And I I think in those situations, uh, you know, obviously we, we turn to God and. Uh, you know, that's usually the big reveal, right? Mm-hmm. He says, oh, well, I was there all along. I've always been here. I've always been here. Mm-hmm. But nothing, you know, you had you had sent me something about, you know, some of Steve Jobs' last words as after achieving so much and then uh, being diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and dying shortly thereafter, and how his world pretty much shrunk down to what did any of it mean? Um, and... I mean, the thing that I always love about, you know, your show about faith radio is it's that that reminder. This is what it means. This is why you're here. You know, those the, the ones you be, be surrounded by the ones you love, spend your time with them and expand this this kingdom. Mm-hmm. Because that's 
that's the lasting impact. Yeah. Uh, and sometimes it takes it, – it's sad, but it takes tough situations to make us realize it. Yeah, I mean, Steve Jobs, a 56-year-old billionaire, dies of pancreatic cancer, and he said, I reached the pinnacle of success in the business world, and in others' eyes, my life is an epitome of success. However, aside from work, I have little joy. In the end, wealth is only a fact of life that I am accustomed to. At this moment, lying on the sickbed and recalling my whole life, I realized that all the recognition and wealth that I took so much pride in have paled and become meaningless in the face of impending death. Material things can be uh, material things lost can be found, but there is one thing that can never be found when it is lost, and that is life. And I find that interesting because for the Christian, uh, when you lose your life is when you start your eternal life. So I don't agree with Mr. Jobs' uh, philosophy, but I understand his words on his deathbed. Yeah, but I think it also helps you understand that that was his mindset because I, I don't believe he was a man of faith uh, and I don't believe he was a Christian. And so I used to, I worked with a woman once whose father was, you know, the, uh, you know, the devout atheist, I guess is the the best way to phrase it. And as he faced the end of his life, uh, he was in sheer terror, sheer terror for the last weeks of his life. Uh, she said it was just the hardest thing to watch. Uh, he had nothing and, and he still didn't want to hear a message. Well, and I think she tried. Mm. I, th- I think she tried, but he didn't want to hear it. And he was, uh, this, there was nothing that could comfort him. Uh, and you say, well, why wouldn't you be at that moment? Wouldn't you be the most open to saying, do you have a message for me? Something that can help me, that can save me. Unless I'd there's be a, pretty, I'd be pretty open. <laughs> yeah. Unless there's a hard heartedness and a spiritual blindness that there's nothing there. Yeah. Uh. Now, well, let's get back to adversity. Sometimes adversity can create really uh, amazing uh, results. And I, I ran across this, and I thought I'll run this by Patrick. I, I love the Dr. Seuss book, uh, Green Eggs and Ham. It started as a bet. The editor uh, said, you can't write a book uh, using fewer than 50 words. <laughs> and, he, and he wrote Green Eggs and Ham. And I don't think he even did he. How, how many words is that? Was it forty-two or something like that? It was, yeah, it was under fifty. Well, and I so that, that makes me wonder. So what was the idea initially? Did, did, was this editor just tired of saying what's a flugel bottom? <laughs> <laughs> you know, who knows? Maybe he just got tired of editing these books with his, what are these words? Yeah, you know, you're you're making stuff up. Can you just stop <laughs> making up words that? You know, you, you don't have a rhyme, so you make up a word, you know, uh, I think, but there's like three words, uh, like orange, silver, and uh, it's funny, those are colors, orange, silver, and purple have no rhymes, but not for Dr. Seuss. <laughs> <laughs> that's so true. So I wonder if that's where the bet came out of. He said, okay, I, how am I supposed to edit this? How am I supposed to edit? I don't know what a schmurple is. I don't know what the hell is. <laughs> <laughs> so he makes a bet, and then he loses that bet because, of course, they, uh, probably one of the biggest selling Dr. Seuss books ever. Yeah, and the bet was for how much? How much money do you think he bet? You can't write a book in less than 50 words, and so how much money did he put up on that bet? Okay. Well, it's got to have been a friendly bet, 
right? Yeah, I it's would not going to so. be, you know, not, you know, and back in those days, you know, a ten thousand dollar bet would have been outrageous. Yeah. So I don't know, a couple hundred bucks. Mm, 50 bucks, 50 words, 50 bucks, <laughs> 50 dollars. Yeah. It's like watching, you know, what is that? The trading places and the, the two billionaires, you know, they're, they'll, they'll destroy lives for the standard bet of $1. $1. Yeah. Yes. $1. Yeah. Here's your dollar. Yeah. All right. Let wow. me take a break, Patrick, because it's already time and we'll come back with more. A merry heart is always like good medicine. Patrick Albanese is my friend and colleague from the great state of Iowa. We'll be right back. What would you do with a brain if you had one? Do? Why, if I had a brain, I could... I could while away the hours, conferring with the flowers, consulting with the rain. And my head, I'd be scratching while my thoughts were busy hatching if I only had a brain. Welcome to the show. Hope you've had a good day. My friend Patrick Albanese is joining me to get things started. I always like doing that on a lighter note. I, I like a good... Smile and a nice laugh to get the week started. Speaking of laughs and smiles, Patrick, nice segue, mm-hmm. Bill, by the way. I got a yes. text message from a friend, a mutual friend of ours, who reminded me that 12 years ago today, I performed a show with him in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico, and Bill Daly came to see us that night. And if you know who Bill, Daly, Bill Daly is, Daly. yeah, he's the yes. actor that was in... Uh, I Dream of Jeannie and Newhart, and he sat mm-hmm. and talked to us for about a half hour after the show and told I Dream of Jeannie stories, <laughs> which, were, which were pretty now, hysterical. So the show you were in, yes, uh, the character that you wrote was based on a certain character that just so happened to have been in a Bill Daly show. Well, much inspired. Show. Much inspired. Much inspired. Yes. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 the man, not the mannerisms, but the, you know, kind of the persona, the, so to speak. Yeah, the deadpan persona of Mr. The Carlin deadpan persona. on the New Mr. Heart Show. Mr. Carlin. Yes. From the New Heart Show, whom I got to know when I was living in uh, Los Angeles and was a great guy, died a couple of years ago. Uh, but did Bill Daly... Uh, recognize the kind of the homage, shall I say? <laughs> or did you tell him? Did you say, you know, this is not based on you, by any way. Just so you know, I respect you. I think you're talented, but your friend <laughs> on the other hand, did you did you mention that to him? Yes, I did, and it was a really delightful conversation. And he was very complimentary, and he he uh, he loves deadpan. I think he's one himself, but he's. Uh, was really, really complimentary, really nice. Uh, certainly a, a conversation I will remember. Yeah. Oh, that's so much fun. That's so, so I guess we were a couple of degrees of separation away from each other via cast members from the Bob Newhart show, even though we already knew each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. Wow. That's a, I love that story. I, I, you know what? I was doing that same show and Leonard Nimoy was in the audience. Yeah. I, it's 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 a it, it's kind of funny how you just you end up in places and you say how did I get here? Yeah, how did I get here? Were you, you in know? the show the night Bill Gates was there? I was not. Yeah. Okay. I I do I do recall. I know we've told the story before. I do recall sitting in a sidewalk cafe with you in Dublin, Ireland, when you abandoned me without saying anything. Got to go, and you took off, 
and you ran down the street to go talk to Tony Bennett, who yeah. you saw walking outside the window, and you left me behind. I had enough of you. Yeah, I know. You're going, gee, between you and Tony, Tony Bennett, it's Tony Bennett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was fun. So it certainly feels like um, maybe coming out of COVID and several years of uh, anxiety-producing a world in which we live that people are getting shorter and shorter with their tempers and their incivilities. And that's something I think I want to pray about. I want to pray that I don't become part of that. Um, I, I, I saw a couple of stories over the weekend. Uh, one guy is didn't get enough duck sauce from his delivery man, so he shot him. And another Subway customer shot a uh, dead, a female worker, for putting too much mayo on their sandwich. And I think to myself, what is this world coming to? That seems kind of nuts. Well, and how did we get to, how did our tempers get that short? I don't know. Um, I don't know. You know, you see, I, I don't even want to call things controversial decisions, uh, you know, go, going on in the world. You know, politics does what politics does. And people say, well, I like this person, I like that person. And, 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 and we used to just be able to sit across the table and say, well, I think you're wrong. But anyway, uh, about those Chicago Cubs, will they ever win the World Series? You mm. know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And now, you know, we've been pitted against each other, it feels, at times. And maybe initially it starts over large issues, and then it becomes mayonnaise. Uh, I know. And, and you think, you know, is it just that we reach a saturation point that we can no longer tolerate any anything that doesn't make our life go perfectly. Mm. Uh, you know, it gets it gets frightening at times because, you know, they talk about people being snowflakes, for instance. You go, gosh, you know, not in the real world, not everybody gets a trophy and you're going to get out there and you're going to apply for jobs and not get some of them uh, or get fired from a job or you're going to be interested in somebody who has no interest in you. And uh, I don't know, I, I, it's a weird thing to say, but do you ever look back at your youth and say, I'm so grateful for the things that didn't go my way that helped me get just a little bit tougher, mm -hmm. a little bit more steeled against, because you can't expect it to always go your way. Yeah. Yeah. The character building moments, especially the ones that happen under your parents' roof so they can help you navigate your way through it. Well, everything built character back then, right? <laughs> right. Right. I mean, my, my grandfather, everything put hair in your chest. You know, that, whatever you didn't want to eat, he would say, you should eat that. That'll put hair in your chest. <laughs> I, it was the strangest thing. You know, oh, I don't like prunes, Grandpa. You should eat those. Those will put hair in your chest. <laughs> you know. He, he what did he say to your sisters? I, you know, I'm not entirely certain. We we didn't occupy the same <laughs> place. Right. I was over at Grandpa's a lot. Because okay. Because they lived two blocks away, and that's where I could make two bucks for filling a bag of weeds. <laughs> so that's when I got the lectures. <laughs> eat the crust. Put hair in your chest. Yeah. Everything put hair in your chest. Yeah. So, yeah. how Patrick, how well do you know your neighbors, like on your block? Pretty well. Oh, good for you. Yeah, Good yeah. for you. I, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't have bank account info, if that's what you're looking for. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking for a three-digit three PIN number, but you're not going to be very helpful here. Um, I was backing out of my driveway this morning trying to get to work on time, and mm. there's this big garbage truck in front of my driveway, and I thought, huh. And the guy was out standing on my lawn talking on the phone. thought, well, this might be interesting. So I jumped out and I said, hey, how are you? He goes, good. He goes, I, I, uh, I'm trying to f find out who might 
own this dog. There was this little tiny Yorkie in the front cab, and he was dirty and shaking and looked oh. scared. And he goes, I saw this little dog darting around the neighborhood lost and panicked. So I stopped and picked him up. And now I'm just trying to figure out, is there a, you know, a way I can get him identified and get him back to its rightful uh, home and homeowner. Wow. And I said, well, look, at I've, I've got to run to work, but I, my neighbors, they might be able to give a helping hand right now. So I went and knocked on their door and they came over and I, and I showed them the dog and they said, oh, that's the neighbor's dog. And it instantly made me feel a little embarrassed that I don't know my neighbor's dog. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, you know, back in my apartment complex uh, in Glendale, California, was where I used to live. I lived in the same apartment for over 20 years. And uh, I would be, I, I knew Bert and Barb lived next door because they collected the rent. So I couldn't avoid them. <laughs> 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 Try though I may. Uh, but uh, there were times where I, 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 I would say, I don't know anybody that lives in this complex. Now, apartments can be a little more transitory than, you know, a, a home ownership. You know, people will stay in the same home for many, many years. But um, I ended up getting these neighbors upstairs and I met them briefly. And they were very nice, very sweet young people. And uh, I was going out of town. I was going to be out of town for a couple of months. And they came to me and they said, could we borrow your apartment for we've got a bunch of family and friends coming in and it's just going to kind of spill over and we'll, you know, we'll pay for some of the rent. It was the strangest request, right? Uh, and I said, yes. <laughs> and it was fantastic. Wow. Uh, first off, they fixed up my place, which I thought was great. <laughs> Uh, so I said, well, you know, and you have any other, you, you got to get some more handy friends. You got any, you have anybody that does tiling? Cause I'd really <laughs> like to get some tiling done. But, um, you know, the, the, the landlord said, we know these people and they're great people. And, uh, they were Christians and, uh, I wasn't, I didn't even think I was a Christian at that point no, in time. I was just, you know, dabbling, yeah. you know, asking questions, but something about them said, this'll be fine. Is that the and so I knew nobody in the complex except I just a couple of times briefly met these people walking around by the barbecue grills or the laundry and they moved my laundry and probably folded it too <laughs> and uh, had this tremendous sense of this is going to be great and uh, we've lost contact since then but we stayed in contact for many many years uh, after that uh, just delightful people. Yeah, I, I you know, so I did get to know a couple of people in the complex. My neighborhood here, um, I know the people pretty well. Yeah, well, Rosie made me feel better. She said, "I there's probably dogs on my block that she doesn't know." But anyway, those sometimes those little Yorkies they never leave the house. They're they they stay inside most of the day. But anyway, yeah. just a good reminder to spend more time getting to know the people that you live with, or live around. I think so. You know, yeah. and we 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 always life gets better. We, yeah. You know, I mean, we don't do the walk two ways to school and yep. I was telling my kids I said you don't know how good you have it you yeah. don't even know what a dead zone talk is. to you next week Patrick talk to you later yeah, alright
Where else do you want to be right now on a Monday afternoon? That's, Nowhere. That's the question. I think it's time for the Monday afternoon mix. Mix, 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 mix. mix okay, up. so if I were to be truthful. Yeah, go ahead. I'd love to be with you guys. Hmm. Let's see. On a walk around Lake Harriet because yeah. it's beautiful out. Yep. On a mountain, seeing Ooh. the beautiful things. That too. On a beach. The ocean. Surfing. Mm. Yes. Yeah, that'd be things. good. Be really good. It would be good. Yeah. All right. Welcome to the Monday Afternoon Mix. Pastor David Miles, Rosie B. And you you, you went on a big trip. Bill I think. Arnold. All right. He's trying to get away from I know. I, I know. <laughs> He's I, so smooth, isn't he? He's just like, here, he, let me just he, do all yeah, this stuff. He slides it in yeah. and right. And then we try to get him. He's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to cut to break now. It's yeah. like, oh, Thank no. you. Let's go to break. <laughs> yes. He doesn't like talking about himself. I know. Okay. So uh, <laughs> let's talk about your trip. Oh, man. So my trip here recently um, was down with a, to a Louisiana, um, Tennessee, Mississippi, Alabama. And so I was on a Southern Civil Rights tour, freedom tour, with a group of people from California, Philadelphia, and out of um, Boston. And so, you know, it was really an incredible time. Um, you know, it's... it's um, you know, before we came on the air, I was telling you that I had a tree in my yard, like I had two trees that had to come down, and they were about eighty footers. So it it cost it was it was they're big. That's so pricey. But the one tree when it came down, um, it actually had rotted from the inside, and uh, so much so that one of the guys who was with their team climbed into that hole. Oh, so I'm thinking of termites. I'm thinking of bugs. Yeah, There's no way I would. There have been that. raccoons there. You yeah. know, but the crazy thing out of the two trees there, um, the one on the left actually, which was a silver maple, it looked like it was in worse shape. Hmm. And the one on the right, which was a basswood, it looked really, really, really good. But inside, it wasn't doing very well. Hmm. And, um, you know, this is an important thing before we jump in our conversation today. This is why we talk about discipleship and we're encouraging people to pursue Jesus on a daily and regular basis because... You know, we want the inside of you to be filled with Christ and to match the beauty of the outside of you. So not just being a well-placed tree that's actually rotting on the inside, you know. So, so, and then the importance of just one another. So um, I went down to uh, New Orleans. Uh, that was our starting place. And uh, another guy with me, Pastor Andy Gray, we met with our team down there, about 39 people. And uh, on day one, we went out to the Whitney, which is was an enslaved labor camp. We also call them plantations, um, and just did a tour. And one of the things we found out was, you know, there's a saying that um, cotton maims, but sugar kills. And it talked about this, the entire sugar industry, you know, just what a, what a massive thing it was uh, in that region and for our country. Now, today, we've been in the Sermon on the Mount. And even before getting into this, I think our verse today is really apropos for what we're discussing. Um, and it's the golden rule out of Matthew seven twelve that says, So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is known as the golden rule. And, you know, when you think about the golden rule, it, it's like the Everest of ethics, 
Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it's really up there. And so much of the things that we're seeing today, if we actually would listen to Jesus, what an incredible thing that would be. And really, at the end of the day, what this Southern Civil Tour did uh, is that it showcased a picture of what it looked like for us not to practice the golden rule. Mm. And But one of the things that we saw was resistance to that type of treatment, a trust in God, but you guys, some of the most amazing resiliency. Mm. So some of the most amazing resiliency. So one of the things that was really interesting about the Whitney was is that a form of slavery continued at the Whitney up to 1975. What? Yep. So you had you had enslavement. Well, you had indentureship for a number of people when they came into the country. And then in the 1600s, they had this thing called freedom dues, by which they began to say blacks would be enslaved for perpetuity and other people would have to just do out their their years. And so they gave freedom dues. And as we began to progress, um, you know, there was reasons why you couldn't enslave a person. One, if they were a Christian. Two, if they were an English person. So the story of Elizabeth Key, she was a Christian person and an English person, and her dad did not want her to be enslaved. And so when they found out they couldn't do that, what did they do? They changed the law. So that no longer did the person's birthright go through their father, it went through their mother. And they also then changed the law that said if you became a Christian, it didn't change your status on earth. And so with that, Hmm. by the time you hit the 1800s, there's roughly about 600,000 mixed-race babies in America. You know, yeah, because there is plenty of that that going on. And so being able to sit down and see the resiliency of people who, and by the way, it was hot mm-hmm. for people who live down there. I mean, like this was like India hot, mm-hmm. you know, extremely, extremely hot. And so, um, you know, I found myself, you know, reading of stories of things that reminded me of my time in some ways um, um, when I was in Auschwitz. You know, and the question that I kept asking myself, and I actually found a picture of this, I found myself saying to myself, how could other image bearers do this to other image bearers? And so, you know, the trip is called a Sankofa. It's it's um, African meaning to go backwards in order to go forwards. Because we do that with everything, mm-hmm. you know. Um you meet somebody, you learn about their past to determine your relationship in the present and whether you have a relationship in the future. So we do that with so many different things. And I love that um, Ellie Weissel, who was the concentration uh, survivor, he said, you know, we had to remember. That wasn't an option. We needed to practice remembering. We had to understand. And actually, the Hebrew words of car in the Bible, God repeatedly would tell people to remember Actually, Isaiah chapter 56, I think it is, and it says, oh, that's when you don't have your Bible immediately in your place. That's still not like you, David Miles. I know. Oh, here we go. So Isaiah 46, 9, the Lord commands the people, remember your history, your long and rich history. I am God, the only God you will ever had or will ever have. 
incomparable, irreplaceable, from the very beginning telling you what the ending will be, all along letting you in on what is going to happen to you. Assuredly, I am in this for the long haul. I will do exactly what I set out to do. So God wants us to remember. And, um, you know, when, when you have these conversations and we take these journeys, one of the big things is to remember, first of all, no one is a beginner. Like we all have a story. We all have a history. We're all learning. And for the most part, lots of people have thoughts and opinions on this. You know, with that part, all of us are teachers and learners. You know, this was part of this trip was learning and learning um, a lot that I'd never been taught that was sitting right and open. And, um, And it's a fascinating, I mean, like it really is. It's fascinating um, to see what people endured and the things that they went through and how they grew in their trust in God and they began to see um, the Christ of the Bible in such an amazing way and led on them. And that's kind of been the entire history um, of the black church. And so... You know, we're wanting to learn these things because the Bible says you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And so it's not to sit there and point and say like, oh, these people are bad or you're bad. No, it's it's the same journey that we have when we study the Holocaust. It's the same thing that we study when we look at the Nanking Massacre, or the Tibetan Death March or the Trail of Tears. It's for us coming back to our shared humanity, Genesis 126, of who we are as people of God. And then also expressing that Jesus came to die for us and that in the gospel, this is the only story that truly looks at people that God has made with such an internal and infinite value. And so this gospel is beautiful. And on this trip, we, we saw a number of things with that. What a trip. I have to say, that's quite a quite a report. Well, yeah. I mean I'll share more because you had these you had these very much living legends that were on the trip. Mm-hmm. Um a gal named Sarah Atkins and uh she was one of the sisters to the four girls who died in the uh sixteenth street bombing in Birmingham. And Birmingham was known as Bombingham because there were so many houses set on fire. Reverend Fred Shuttleworth's house, he was firebombed twice. His church was firebombed just for wanting to vote. Because we're not a, not such a stone's throw from that period of time where people were really looked at as second-class citizens. But this Sarah gal, if you look at the history on it, you'll see a picture of a girl with eye bandages on. Well, she actually met us in the park the famous mm-hmm. park that people see with hoses and dogs. And she shared her story that day of being in that bombing. And uh, you could hear a pin drop. Wow. So. You know, um, while you were telling your story, I was just mem- mesmerized by it. And you said, how could, you started talking about it by saying, how could image bearers do this to other image bearers? And I think that's the tension in Matthew seven twelve. Can I read it again? Yeah. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this is for this sums up the law of the prophets. And you know, it just occurred to me as you were so often I think today we take pride, if you will, maybe arrogance in not sinning. 
and, you know, stepping away from something that God would not have us be in. But this also talks about we also have to walk in his glory. It's not just don't sin. Mm -hmm. It's do what I'm doing. And didn't Jesus reach out his arms to everybody all the time? And I just, you know, what a reminder for today with all the churning in our in our government and in our world, you know, some people can feel very happy how things are going in one hand and sad on another. And yet to gloat about that or to not try to understand where someone's coming from. I mean, really the challenge isn't not to just sin, but the bigger challenge is to act as God would act. Yeah. Right. It is. And and so what you see, you know, Jesus is like, do unto others what you have them do unto you. I mean, like, Honestly, if God would have did unto us like what we did to him. It would not go well for us. It would us. not go well. And and guys, honestly, that's the craziest thing about any sort of prejudice, any sort of anti-Semitism, any racism, any pride for the believer. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is the craziest thing because we who are the complete other to a holy and perfect God to then sit down and say to another image bearer, you have no, you know, you, you have no worth. You have no value or you're less than me. There's so many places where Jesus talks about that in scripture. He does. And so, you know, one of the fascinating things was because the church is meant to step into this was noticing that it was actually a Methodist minister who revived the Klan. Mm. And they started on Stone Mountain, Georgia, by having a worship service and lighting a cross and committing America back to you know, it's white supremacist roots. I mean, in the coup that overtook Wilmington, North Carolina, they threw out the, the government and they said, we are stating that this is going to be this government that represents Anglo-Saxon people. So when you see that and actually learning, one of the questions on the trip that we, we that we you know, s- some people just were asking was, where was the church in this? Mm-hmm. You know, and um, here we have a deep love of scripture on this show. Mm-hmm. You know, in this program, we are going to constantly point you to God's word because we think all 66 books are important. And and so I, I we're going to take a break and we'll, we'll come back a little bit on that on the other side. Works for me, you know. <laughs> I, we we I to explain Rosie, to everybody. I just, you guys, I just gave um, David the break because we're going well over. But this yes. conversation is worth going well over. And the, the break sign is, yeah, she gave hey, the break Bill, sign. do something about this. She's like, no, she's like, go to break. We do like, break. I think it's your get, job. I thought break? I would just take it when she's like, go yeah. to break. I'll go to break. All right, break. Monday, Monday All afternoon right. mix. Pastor David Miles, Rosie B, Matthew seven twelve. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We'll continue that discussion when we come back. to do on Mondays. It's the Monday Afternoon Mix. David Miles and Rosie B. David is just talking about his civil rights, his southern civil rights tour he was on and connecting it to Matthew chapter 7, 
Verse 12. Yeah. I mean, like, we're looking at um, the call to treating image bearers the way we want to be treated. And even, like, as we went last week with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, and so apologize if anyone feels I'm being political talking about that. But, you know, we're a nation that's gone through 63 million. And, uh, you know, one of the things that happens is is when you when you rename somebody, you can do with, do with them what you want to. And so, for example, I, I'll talk about this another time about the inconvenience of congruency. And congruency is a math term meaning harmony. Um, so if you – and what congruency does is it causes you to take a step towards empathy because you begin to see things the way another person sees it. It makes you take a step away from otherizing because when you otherize someone or anything, you can do with them what you want. So Lothrop Stoddard, the American eugenicist, had a term called underman. The Germans took it and made it undermenschen, and the Nazis made it subhuman. So in the process of doing that, you know, you could kill six million. If you say it's not a baby, but you say it's a fetus, well, we have 63 million citizens. If you say, as our Constitution says, that black people are three-fifths human, and you have church and a number of things that say it's not, and you spend years making social science to say something's wrong with this group of people, you know, you have 12 to, you know, 12 to 14 million and you have the largest graveyard in the world, which is the Atlantic Ocean, where there's, yeah, roughly about, you know, people have between 14 million, some have 100 million of people that are there. And to this day, sharks still swim the Middle Passage because they threw so many slaves overboard. And some people, out of resistance, they refused to do it, so they jumped overboard themselves. And, you know, the, the traffickers didn't really care because they had insurance, and so, you know, Aetna Insurance and AIG and uh, New York City Bank, which we know as Citicorp, they wrote, you know, financial policies to cover the slave trade. And so Wall Street actually has its name from that. Um, so then if you say they're red savages, um, then you have 100 to 114 million Native Americans that have been extinguished on North America. And that's actually what Hitler called the Russians. He would call them redskin savages. So, so you have this thing that if we treat people as image bearers, if we treat them like you want someone to treat your mama, you know, or to treat yourself, it's amazing what happens. I mean, like, guys, we do this with kids. Like, one kid hits another one, and they, they don't think it's a big issue. And you're like, would you like your sister to hit you? No. Because we understand something's not right. So, Bill, you were asking me earlier about my name because he's like David Miles. I was. Yeah. You got a story behind that? I do have a story, a little bit unexpected story. Um, besides the jazz part of going to Bill Street in Memphis mm-hmm. and listening to that and going to Stax Re- Records, the opposite, the, the counterpart to Motown and listening to some really good music, my last name is spelled M-Y-L-E-S, and I've always shared like our name was originally M-I-L-E-S, but someone changed the Y and we didn't know why. And so I'm sitting at um, Brian Stevens in the movie Just Mercy, who's an attorney in, in Montgomery, and we're at the EJI Legacy Museum that just tells this legacy of resistance and of resiliency and how God walked with a group of people 
you know, taken from their land and living in a foreign and hostile place and growing up and loving God. And and as we're going through this section on lynching, one of the gals with me is Japanese. And she had pointed out that she had a friend whose great-grandmother or was a part of that vignette. And so they had this video. Well, as I was passing, I see this this gal's first name, and then I just see M-Y-L, and I just like, oh, wait a minute. So it comes on uh, these two sisters and, and the other sister, and they said um, our um, grandfather, Thomas Miles, was a successful businessman. And unfortunately at that time, you know, that angered a number of whites. You know, they didn't like that success. Know, Tulsa, Oklahoma, Black Wall Street, one of the wealthiest communities in America, got firebombed. So they murdered this man. Hmm. And the gal says, our name is M-Y-L-E-S now. It used to be M-I-L-E-S, and I, M-I-L-E, M-I-L-E-S, and I never knew it until when they were working on the house, they found a little box that told the story. Well, I have family from that region. So I contacted one of my cousins who's... A, really good at genealogy, wrote a book on it, got a Pulitzer for it, and gal's amazing. And I said, hey, can you check into this name and see what you know, as well as another Miles that was in Georgia? Because at the EJ, EJI Museum, in their section, they have 4,400 documented um, lynchings, and then they went to those areas because of a sacred ground, and they scooped up dirt and put them in canisters to acknowledge this person's life. Um, north of us in Detroit, there's three individuals, um, you know, falsely accused, city came, and yeah. So it was really interesting and actually kind of a, a little slight taking of one's breath when you're sitting there and coming into contact with something that may be a part of your own family's history and um, learning why some people change their names. And yeah, so I don't have a report yet on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it'll be it'll be um, really fascinating. That is an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, there's some statistics that I was not aware of, and I'm really troubled by that part of our nation's history. It's so disturbing. And here's the thing: we all have history. Okay, here's the thing: people are worried about looking at things. And so sometimes when people are like, hey, well, Dave, that seems like really revisionist history. And I'm like, you know where I got that from? They're like, where? The Library of Congress. So when you go down from the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, great documents, and are called to really live those fully out, you come down to all this other stuff that's there. But that's the beauty that we love about Scripture, is that God doesn't just tell about David dancing and becoming king. He tells about his failure with Bathsheba and tells about Nathan. It doesn't just talk about, you know, Peter, you know, being a great, you know, fisherman. It talks about him denying Jesus. And that makes the beauty of our of our of our history rich. And as Christians with anything, this including family events that are going to happen this weekend for some of you that don't want to you know, talk to family. Romans 5.25 says that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And the truth is, there is nothing that we can't look at. And this is irrespective of race. I mean, like this, you could be driving home today and you're, you're thinking, my marriage is done. I can't do No, because 
where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Because of the gospel, we can, we of all people as Christians, can't speak for anybody else, but for us as followers of Jesus, there's no topic, no conversation that we cannot engage in and look at because God's got us. Mm-hmm. And he's calling us to be his witnesses in all of these various places. That is incredibly powerful. It also reminds me that if, you know, we don't want to waste an ounce of God's blood in anything we do. We don't want to waste any bloodshed in history. You know, we have to bring that forward and move that forward. And that applies to today and today's current issues. Mm -hmm. You know, you can say, oh, this was, you know, it's sometimes easier to keep it in horrible atrocity form versus how did I just react on Facebook? Was that kind? Did I promote the gospel? Am I forgiving? You know, um, it, it, it's it's harder sometimes to look at it in the minute action, but the minute action builds upon itself to you eventually have a big action. Yeah, and and the whole idea that we can get away from our past is, is yeah, no. I mean, because once a month in communion, we revisit the past. Yeah. A very old story, a very eternal story the old story, an eternal story in the past. And in the present, it speaks to our relationship while looking forward to the future. You need to take more trips, David. It's a good report. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, Dr. Clinton Arnold is joining me. No relation, but I can't wait. We're going to talk about collapse. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.